Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of Scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, Seth Stewart, how are you, my friend? Ready to slay. Ready to slay. <laughs> Who, what are you slaying? Dragons, slaying. Antichrist. No. Just slaying, slaying life. Slaying life, slaying this wardrobe. Just slaying. Slaying wardrobe. Slaying just my, I look oh, good you today. just you just I slaying. Just, I just is slaying. That, is that is that is that what the kids say? These I think days? so. I mean, as a thirty-year-old man, I am very up on what the kids say. So when you go out and you're looking good, you're slaying. I'm slaying. We are so cool right now really i did see that a top podcast on apple has the word slay in it so i think i think i'm i think i'm still cool you're so cool yeah you slay slay boy just like cain slayed abel hey there we go now we're in the text now we're in the text so we are still in first john still in first john and we are moving into chapter three and um we're going to be talking about how do you know if you belong to god or satan Yep, that's really, really simple. Um, and the first two, last two verses of chapter two kind of set up all the main themes that we're going to talk about in John 3. Okay. Um, and here's what it says. And now little children abide in him, Jesus, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him at his coming. So again, we already have this idea of coming, like Jesus coming again. Mm-hmm. We have the idea of confidence and assurance when Jesus comes. Yep. Now, next verse. Now, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Mm. Some important words here is the word righteousness. Outside of this section of 1 John, righteousness is not talked about. Okay. And the idea of being born of God. Yeah. It's a super interesting phrasing, which I don't believe is ever used of Israel in all the Old Testament. I was reading one commentator there is idea about being in God's family uh-huh. throughout the Old Testament, but the idea of being born of God Interesting. is a new type of thing John is describing because of Jesus. Huh. So we have something new happening here, uh, a new creative thing happening um, in which we are trying to get confidence as Jesus returns. Wow. And like, it's also interesting. We've talked about how John just loves this congregation. Mm-hmm. And so when I first read this passage, you know, verse 28, uh-huh. it's, he says, children, you know, I was uh-huh. like, oh, another yep. technia or whatever, you know, Familial the Greek word thing, is. Yeah. yeah. And, but it's also like a double entendre in a sense where it's like children. Yes. Not my, just my spiritual children, like, children of God. Children of it's God. It's cueing us into that. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. And one thing I wanted to flag here, we've talked a couple different times about through this podcast series about the idea of assurance of salvation. Mm-hmm. How do I know if I'm saved? Right. And I think we've talked about it kind of on a, a fairly psychological level. How do I know if I'm saved when people tell me things about my Christian faith that I can't answer? Mm. When somebody gives me an objection to the resurrection, how do I know I'm okay in my faith? I Mm. think that's kind of the terms we've set it on. I also wanted to add like, there's probably an intensity here that we haven't like flagged. We did a little bit. We talked about Nero, like, Oh, right. Yeah. All his craziness, crazy persecution. So I was I was kind of thinking if we frame the question not how do I know I'm saved in right. kind of a, a psychological way a psychological way like well what if, if I'm killed by somebody tomorrow for my faith mm-hmm. how do I know I'm going to be in heaven right if I'm murdered in my sleep will I be with God right like I felt like that did something for me as I was reading this like I think John he kind of amps up his language a little bit here uh-huh. he's just referring to Cain and murderers and right and I'm wondering if like it would be helpful for us as we're as as our audience, as we are listening to it, to up the stakes a little bit. It's mm. like, if we die tomorrow, how do we know we'll be with God? Right. If we died in the next second, what kind of assurance could we have yeah. that we would be in God's family? Because you're saying some of John's original audience might be facing some of these um, right. threats against their lives. That's exactly either right. Either by these antichrists or other external persecutive forces. Yeah, so there's okay. like an immediacy and an urgency to the, mm. their need for confidence and assurance. Because I think I was confused. Like, why does he keep harping on assurance and confidence? Like, 
hasn't he solved that issue for them? Oh, sure. If it's a psychological issue, but it's like, yeah, well, I mean, maybe I also don't want to belittle the psychological where right. it's like that question plagues Christians it does. their whole lives. You know, how do I know I'm actually saved? I just don't feel saved. I don't yes. feel like a Christian. So like, I definitely don't want to belittle that. No, um, what I want to do is elevate also up the stakes. Right. Yeah. Because I, I mean, our podcast is increasingly listened to around the world in places that are persecuted. That's so it's right. like, there are people right now listening mm-hmm. who might actually be facing physical persecution. Right. And so how do you know if you're sent to prison tomorrow, you'll make it yeah. through that sentence. Right. John is talking to you. Yeah. So I wanted to frame that That's good. as we can keep going forward. Okay. But for now, children of God, Children of God, uh, continue in him so when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before his coming. So he's he's talking, he's talked a lot about the the one that we've known from the beginning has appeared. He's talked about the appearance of Jesus a lot mm-hmm. lately, uh, but so far in John's, on John, in John's letter, for the most part, it's been about the incarnation, Jesus's earthly ministry in the past. Mm-hmm. Now he's talking about when he appears in the future, yeah. In the coming day of the Lord, when Jesus returns, he's going to come, and there's two options whenever he comes for how we will feel and respond to him when he comes. We'll either be confident, which is like what he's been aiming at, or we'll be ashamed. Yeah. Or we'll shrink. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like those are our, those are, and those really always been the options. If you read about the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, like yeah. you either are going to stand or you're going to ask the mountains to fall on top of you so you can hide. <laughs> like those are your two options. And so it's like, I, I think it's also a, a way to elevate the stakes is to think about like, imagine the perfect God and all his might coming, being seen fully. He knows your ins and outs and you actually see him seeing you mm-hmm. as completely imperfect and you see him as fully perfect and he knows you and he looks at you. How will you feel in that moment? Yes. How can you feel confident before a God like that? How can you have, isn't, wouldn't that be like the wrong emotion to have? You know, how do you but shrink? Uh-huh. How do you but feel ashamed? Yes. And John is saying, if you're God's child, that day can be a day of confidence for you. And it's like, if you can bank and like understand on what the gospel has done for you in such a way that you know that when Jesus appears, you'll stand before him in confidence, you're on the right footing. Yes. And like nothing else is going to shake you. It's, yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. And then he tells us in verse 29, how we know we're God's child. If you know that he is righteous, you may uh, be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. John does something interesting that I'm a little uncomfortable, that I'm often uncomfortable mm. with, is he links our assurance of salvation, our confidence in our salvation, our confidence at Christ's coming to our righteousness, mm-hmm. to our obedience to God's commands to our like to walking and loving our brothers will continue to develop. Right. And I'm often kind of uncomfortable by that idea because I'm so used to thinking of like our works or our righteousness as something that Jesus has done and atoned for on the cross. And he's even talked about it yes. already. But to think about our works, our righteousness, our obedience as an assurance mm-hmm is different and it it's taken me a second to like make that shift in my mind. Yeah. Well, it's got to be a both and. I mean, he even does the both and mm-hmm. in, in 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 this letter that he wants every weapon we can wield against our unconfidence, you know, our yes. lack of confidence. Um and yeah, I think one is if we do sin, we have an advocate before the Father, mm-hmm. right? So like what you do can't condemn you. Yep. But then there's this other side where it's like, yeah, but don't forget when you are acting righteously in places that you used to be unrighteous, when you are loving your brother and loving people who don't love you in ways that the world around you fails to, let that also yes. build confidence in you. Because the people who are against you are living differently. Yeah. So, and this is gets to the central conceit of these passages. Yeah. Is that there are two types of people in the world. Mm, those who like Neil Diamond and those who don't. <laughs> Is that a quote from something? <laughs> from Saving Silverman. <laughs> old, terrible comedy. Anyway. Uh, no, there's those that are the children of God, like yes. we are set up, and those that are the children of the devil. The right. children of God act one way. The children of the devil act another way. The children mm-hmm. of God are righteous. The children of the devil are unrighteous. Mm-hmm. And a really clear way to give yourself confidence is to know that you act 
righteously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't best know how to develop that idea except just going through the text line upon line, unless you have something you want to add to that. Um, I mean, there, I mean, we could, we could do that. I, yeah, let's do that. I think there's, we could talk about it more meta, but I think going through line by line might be, might be best. Um, it's interesting though, because he kind of does this parenthetical in verses one to three of chapter three. Uh, where he's like talking about how will you know, how will you be confident? Are you ashamed or are you confident? And then he talks about the final day of the Lord. Then he comes back to mm-hmm. like knowing who you are based on what you do, you know, in, in uh-huh. verse four. So anyway. Can um, I ask you this question? Yeah. Do you think that shame at his coming uh-huh. is his final day of the Lord? Or is it as we talked about last week, 8070, when there was a day of the Lord mm. against Jerusalem and the temple and it was ransacked and it was destroyed. And he's talking about like this upcoming mm-hmm. moment of persecution that will be really, really intense. And they're gonna have this moment where they're like, am I, are we okay? Is God, like God right. destroyed his temple. Like we're used to the temple being where God did business with the world right. and now it's not. Do you think it's both? Do you think it's only one? I don't know if that changes our understanding of the text a ton. Yeah, but I, 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 I have trouble believing it's it's the destruction of the temple or both because of chapter 3, verse 2. Uh, he says that we are God's children now, mm-hmm. but what we will be has not yet made been made known to us. But we know that when Christ appears, mm-hmm. now that's not when the Antichrist does his thing, yeah. you know, and the temple's destroyed. Uh, when Christ appears, and then this is the real problem, we shall be like him, for we mm-hmm. shall see him as he is. That did not happen in AD 70. Mm-hmm. Um, that did not happen when the temple was destroyed. We did not see Jesus and be transformed into his, and like mm-hmm. be transformed in his likeness. That didn't happen. And so that's why I think he is talking about a future to the Lord. It's also the only time that John uses the Greek word parousia, coming uh which is the new testament word that's almost exclusively used Mm -hmm. for the second coming of jesus interesting um so that's my answer that's interesting and i was i was like i wanted to flag that because i thought it was interesting in the the theme of persecution we've been playing Mm -hmm. with the immediacy that john seems to have in this whole section uh but i think the important thing is right I think you're right. There is something, a piece of confidence that comes from being made like God. Yes. Being righteous like God, being purified like God is pure, which he, which he's getting mm-hmm. at. Yeah, there's also um, a part of the Christian's confidence that the New Testament picks up constantly. And really, it's a theme from the Old Testament too. But it's the idea that future hope is like salvific. It's, it's saving. It's confidence building. Like... Knowing and believing that God is coming again does something to us. It doesn't make us. Uh, what's the what's the what's the phrase like? Uh, our, our we're so full of heaven that we're of no earthly good or whatever. Oh that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. saying is that's not what it does. It actually makes us be able to live on this earth to be heavenly minded to know right. that heaven is coming. Mm-hmm. And so that's what he's. I think he's getting at here is that you can have confidence. Uh, in your Christian life right now, why? Because Christ is coming. And it's like, mm-hmm. how can I, how does something that hasn't happened yet mm-hmm. going to give me confidence now? And it's like, that's not. Because we know yeah. when he appears, right. we'll be like him and we shall see him as he is. Mm-hmm. And so again, he's going back to like, how do you know right now in this moment that you'll be confident, that you can be confident on that day? Well, if you practice righteousness. Yeah. So know that and then know on that day when if you're practicing righteousness now, right, you will be fully righteous when he returns. Right. You will be like him. You'll see him as he is. Yes. And the way that he is light and he is purity, he'll make you like light and you pure. Exactly. I, I'm like, okay, because let's go back to that 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 imaginary space I wanted people to get their heads in where this holy, perfect God, Jesus, comes back to earth and we stand before him. Will we be confident or will we be ashamed, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, how can you be ashamed if he makes you exactly like him? The, the reason right. you'll be confident before him is that you will be like him. 
you're not going to stand before him on your own merits. Mm -hmm. You're not going to stand before him with your own righteousness. Mm -hmm. He's going to give you his righteousness when you see him. Yeah. And so you will not be ashamed on that day because you will look just like him. And if you are already called children of God, yes. how will he not also make you like his child Jesus? That's like right. there's no sense in which you need to be unafraid of that day, of the day of persecution, the day of death, the final day. That's right. Because you are already a child of God and you will become like Jesus, the final child of God mm -hmm. on that day as well. Yes. So that, that let's go ahead and talk about something then because, okay. and then we can, then we can jump to, mm -hmm. let's finish talking about being children of God. Mm -hmm. And then we can talk about being children of the devil. Uh, because what, what we're talking about here is the theological term sanctification, right? That being made more like Jesus bit by bit over time. That's right. Becoming more and more like Jesus. And so, uh, John is going to say in this passage that God's seed is in us. Right. His, yeah. We're, we're, yeah. His, like in the really physical, like really Abrahamic physical, sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. He has impregnated us in a sense uh -huh. with himself. And that seed, like it does in soil, mm -hmm. it grows. Mm -hmm. And it grows and it grows and it grows. And it takes a long, it takes time to grow. You know, like people are like, why, like, here, here's a great question for the people struggling with psychological questions like, how can I know I'm saved? Mm -hmm. Is it's like, you, you think whenever you become a Christian, you magically have a full Christian tree in your body, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, that's not what happens. Mm -hmm. You get a seed and that seed is buried under soil. You don't even see it sprout right away. And you're like, I guess nothing changed. It's like, mm -hmm. no, God's seed is in you now yeah. and it will start growing. And so it's like, that's what's going to happen. It's going to grow. You're going to start being righteous. You're going to start loving your brother as Jesus loved us. You're going to start doing these things. Yeah. It's necessary because God's seed is growing in you. And then that tree, that seed comes to fruition, you know, when the final rain shower of Jesus's presence comes uh, down on earth uh -huh. and we yeah, become like what the seed was intended to be. Mm -hmm. We've, we are the full tree at that moment. You will not be the full tree until that moment, but it's going to start growing. sprouting and growing. And you should have some of those early sprouting seedling evidence of what the final tree will be. Will you be a perfect Christian? No. Should you start to have some of those sprouts that indicate that the future tree is coming? Yes. There's other clues in this text that, that what you're talking about is so, so important. So mm. we're called the seed of God. We're called children of God. Mm. We're called born of God. And there's this phrase here called, it's just everyone who, pasha. Oh, pasha, yeah. Pasha, that's all it is. But it it's used seven times in this little mm. section. Mm-hmm to refer to the new work of creation God is doing in his people. And like there is a, what, what, what does his new creation do? It doesn't sin. It practices righteousness. It says no to the things of the devil. It's, it's a hint that God is building and renewing and creating in us a new reality that will one day be finished. Mm -hmm. Just like in creation, mm -hmm. there was seven days of creation and it was good in the last day. There's this everyone who practices righteousness says right. no to sin. Well, Some of those day, everyone who's are about bad things. They are about bad okay. things, but he is doing it in opposition to the everyone who okay. does good things, right? Like there's like there's everyone who does this, but there's all these other people who make a practice of sinning. That's not who yeah. we are. It's also interesting we're talking about you're either one type of person or the other. Mm -hmm. It's either everyone or everyone. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. either everyone of the new creation who has God's seed and are God's children and will bear fruit and will be like Jesus when he returns, or there's everyone else who is the seed of the devil and is going to bear right uh, destruction, unrighteousness, yeah. lawlessness. Yeah, and it's really interesting. Like, so we keep we keep hinting at the idea that there's children of God, seed of God, yes. and then the other family. And it, we're lit literally children of the devil is the other phrase used yeah. by John here. Um it's really interesting to like, and it, I don't know if it sounds like, I think it either sounds so fantastic. And I mean that in like a genre term, like, like fantasy yeah, yeah, or so, um, modern day exorcist movie <laughs> that it's hard to relate to the phrase yeah. children of the devil. It's like, right. okay, are we talking about like the new Annabelle movie uh -huh. or are we talking about like Lord of the Rings, the son of the devil and like, yeah, it's yeah. so Strange. I think. How can you describe it in a way that makes me, as a 21st century person, go like, "Oh, a child of the devil." That makes sense. I think it. The, I think John does a good job of grounding it for okay, us. Okay. Okay. And I think it's because, again, like, in, 
it's an an ancient eternal battle mm-hmm. John is describing here yes. between the seed of God, Genesis three sixteen. There's going to be someone who comes who's going to crush the head of the devil of the serpent. And there's the seed of the serpent that began in Cain that killed Abel. Mm. You have this ancient battle where you have these two representative people, someone who's born of God, who loves God, who does righteousness, and somebody who hates that person because of their righteousness. Right. And the ancient story is that the seed of the devil, the person who hates righteousness, kills the other one. Mm-hmm. That's the ancient story. And that's prototypical. Like that right. happens in Adam and Cain and Abel, but it's just the history of humanity. Right. Like whenever there are people who do good and follow God's laws, there are those who want to crush them because they hate them for it. And like that itself is what it means to be a child of the devil. Mm. An antichrist is to be a child of the devil. It's to be against God's plans and against God's savior yeah. and against God's people. And like, that's all it means. It's like, I think we can build up a child to the devil, but like Jesus calls the the Pharisees. Yes. The ch- children of the devil. Right. In, in John, John 8, 8. Yeah. Because they are putting burdens on people with God's law that mm. were outside of what God intended. Like yeah. there's ways to be against God's people that are actually fairly religious looking as well. So I don't, does that help? Have I done what you wanted me to do there? Yeah, I think that does help. Um, so what you're saying is to be a son of the devil is to be in this great conflict that's been happening from the beginning where we are against like the plans of God or the the world God's trying to build. Uh, it means we're on the yeah. wrong side of the battle. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like, I mean, we've already have the, 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 the categories of Christ and Antichrist. To- totally. So this is just a new way to talk about the same reality. I see. You so have- he's like, it's kind of like a way to like go like, uh, we've talked about you, you're either in Christ or you're an antichrist kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's like happening in your own backyard, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, now let me show you this cosmic thing yes. where it's like, it's God and Satan. It's this big story and it's the same old thing. You know, it's like the, 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 the secessionists from your church, the antichrists who have gone out from you are nothing more than another form of those who have allowed the satanic influence to pit them against God and his children. Yes. Okay. That's right. Okay. I think it's, yeah, the children of the devil are that. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, There's something interesting. So there's this really strange verse uh, that doesn't quite come across as strange in verse four. Uh, It it, it kind of, rather than it coming across as strange, it it comes across as a boring sentence. Yeah. Uh, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. It's like, duh. That makes sense. Yeah, it's right. like in English, it sounds really boring or like, why did you need to tell me that? Of course, sinning is breaking the law. Of Then, of course, that means that sin is not having the law. Uh, and in fact, those two words are the same. In law Greek, and lawlessness are the same. Oh, the word, uh, the practice of sinning is lawlessness? Or sorry, the word sin there No, the, the word law and lawlessness in the NIV or the word, sorry, I got to pull it up in the, what's it, what is it? Verse four in the EIV, in the ESV? It says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning uh-huh. also practices lawlessness. Okay, got it. Sin is lawlessness. Right, so poieo is the practice part. So I'm not mm-hmm. talking about that word. Yeah, I'm yeah. talking about there's everyone who, who hamartias, which is everyone who sins, uh-huh. uh, then that mean then they, uh, omnia is they, Lawless. They are, they, yeah. they lawless. They lawless. They, it's poyo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Practice law, lawlessness. Yeah, they, they do lawlessness. Interesting. And and then he says, in fact, hamartia is hominia. Uh-huh. And you know, yeah, sin is lawlessness. Yeah, they're the same thing. Uh, and it's like, but it kind of gets lost in English because we don't have this long history uh-huh. that the Jewish people have had with this word, uh, uh, on onomia, which is against the law. We're lawless. It's yeah, anomia. Yeah, yeah. Anomia is like against the law. But that's that's like a very wooden translation. Kind mm-hmm. of in, in a sense, it would kind of be like uh, butterfly is a flying stick of butter. Right. right you know, right, right, that's right. just taking the parts of the word and saying like, oh, it must mean against the law because yeah. the prefix against is in there. The word law is in there. It must be it. And they actually have, there's this theologian, De La Poterie, <laughs> French theologian. So and uh, he argues uh, that um, the Greek interpretation, or sorry, the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, 
um, it translates um, like sin, uh, the word sin that shows up in the Bible a lot of times as anomia. Okay. But it also will end up translating like demonic forces and the powers behind the powers and the uh-huh. work of Satan also as anomia. Interesting. But then even twice in the Old Testament, it ends up translating the god Belial, like the pagan false god Belial. Instead of giving him that name or calling him false god or uh-huh. anything like that, it calls him Anomia. Capital A, Anomia Yeah, kind it's of like thing. he is lawlessness. Interesting. And like the powers of lawlessness. And and then exclusively, except for like one in the New Testament when, when this word is used, it's talking about satanic forces. And a lot of times it's talking about the last days. Interesting. So this word for the Jewish mind has become like common parlance to talk about satanic powers. Interesting. And so what he's saying here is much different than if you sin, you broke the law. That's which is just like almost pointless to say. What he's saying is if you make a practice of sinning, you are Satan. You are of Satan. Interesting. That is a demonically empowered thing that you are doing. In fact, sin is satanic. Right. And that's a bigger thing that he's saying there. Yeah, he continues to develop that theme. My, when I read that sentence, I went in a slightly different direction, but got to the same place. Mm-hmm. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And so when I think of sin, I think of like breaking a command, like right. you've said. Yeah. But lawlessness is like, there are no commands. Mm-hmm. Like I define my commands. I do what I want and God doesn't get to tell me what I want which is actually what Satan tempted with Adam and Eve right. in the first place. Yes. God didn't say that. Do whatever you want and you can know good and evil for yourself. Right. You can define the commands all on your own. You can define good and evil for yourself. So lawlessness was the first temptation. <laughs> yeah, it right. was it was what the devil, the snake did in the garden. Right. Like yeah. there's been a battle between the children of God, mm-hmm. the children of the devil and their relationship to the law, yes. to God's commands that have been existing since the beginning of which time. is what he gets at in verse eight right he, he talks about that the devil has been sinning from the beginning yes that's what, exactly is, what do you right. mean he's been sinning from the beginning i mean he's been leading you into lawlessness he's mm-hmm. been leading you to oppose god to break his commands to not follow what he said he's been doing that since day one right or day eight you know? yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so um although like this is can can you can you indulge me for 90 seconds on a weird theological of tangent course. I'm just thinking here, in a sense, like I think you have to go with the Jewish understanding of anomia uh-huh. as the satanic power. Otherwise, First John, what John's saying here in First John three four, and what Paul develops in Romans seven, kind of clash because Paul goes to great lengths to make sure we understand that sin that that we were breaking the law without sin, or like we were sinning without breaking the law, and that. Breaking the law isn't the same thing as sin, but it brings alive sin. Anyway, I don't want to get into it. I'm yeah, trying to yeah. do this as quick as possible. Yeah. My point is that it's like, I think that, I think Pottery is right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In that like. To link sin to demonic to, powers. To demonic powers mm-hmm. is, is, is his point here. Well, and even like, um, what is God? So Cain and Abel get brought up. So I think yes. it's super interesting. You have like sinning from the beginning. So yeah. you have this lawless figure from the beginning say, reject God's commands, do what you want. Mm-hmm. And the very next story in our scriptures is the story of Cain and Abel, right. where you have a righteous son, Abel, right. being hated by his brother. And John says, because he saw that his deeds were righteous mm-hmm. and didn't wanted law, preferred lawlessness yeah. and killed him. So you have these re- ancient connections to this theme. And then what does God tell Cain? Sin is crouching at the door yeah, and it, its desire is to have you. It wants you. Right. So like yeah. the, w- the first mentions of sin and lawlessness have been like personified as like this creeping animal, the serpent, the snake. Yeah. Since the beginning of the Bible, John is just doing the work of a good Bible reader. Right. And bringing all this up to us again in a new context when you're being persecuted and whatever else is happening. Okay. Let me lay out what we've said and then I need to ask a question. Okay. Because we've said... If you're a Christian and you want confidence, you need to know that God has planted a seed in you that will grow to completion on the day that Jesus returns. You are a child of God. You're a child of God. That's where your confidence God's lies. Family. If you're a child of the devil, there is this satanic power that wants you and is pursuing you and 
he is overtaking you. And in fact, he's your father. Mm-hmm. You're either a son of God or a son of the devil. Um, what is John doing here with the larger, his larger goals in the, in the letter, right? His larger goals to like root out the antichrist's heresies and to, uh, separate those who are true Christian believers from those who have gone out from them who aren't like, is the, is this whole thing? Like, I want you to know that the antichrists that are, are, that have gone out from you are sons of the devil. Like he's just another nail in the coffin while at the same time shoring up their confidence by telling them they're children of God. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it can definitely be as simple as that. Do you think right. that's what he's doing? What's the other option? I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think that is the main function of what he's doing. I yeah. mean, verse 10, by this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Mm. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. He's like, what he's doing is he's saying, maybe it's confusing who's an antichrist and who's not. Here's a, sim- oh. here's a simple, simple litmus test. Maybe you're feeling unsure that if you died tomorrow, you would be with God and that you're actually part of his family. Yes, but also, how do you know that they're false teachers at all? Uh-huh. It all boils down to like, how do we know anybody is on anybody's side? Like, that's kind of like yeah. another way to say it. How do we know thousands of years separated from the Adam and Eve story? <laughs> who's on which side? Mike who's, Cain or Abel? Yes. Like, how do we know that? Yeah. And he boils it down to really simply what we kind of hinted at, at the beginning about doing righteousness, loving our brother or not. Yeah. Being lawless or being righteous. Those are our two options. Right. And that's because it, we will do righteousness and be just, as he says here too, as evidence and almost necessitated, not almost absolutely necessitated by the fact that God's seed is in us. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff that it grows. Yep. And then we know that we have Satan's seed in us if we're doing unrighteousness and acting unjustly. Yes. Um, I get that. I think I'm coming back around to the quandary you brought up at the beginning of the episode, which is like, it sounds like, like my works are what's justifying me or my works are what's bringing me confidence. And I'm having to remind myself of everything else John has said in his letter that tells me that, look, if you're trying to be justified, your works, you won't be because you also keep sinning and you need the blood of Christ and you need to confess. Well, I think you're asking the right question because (laughs) verse five and six you know that he, Jesus, appeared for the first time mm-hmm. in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Yeah. He said something like this already. Now, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Mm-hmm. No one who keeps on sin- sinning has either seen him or known him. Now, why this is confusing is because just a few verses before, he has said kind of the opposite thing, right? Right. Where he says, anyone who claims to not have sin, right. the truth of God is not in him. So he's, he's developing his argument uh-huh. using the same words and getting at the exact conflict we're feeling. So what do works do again? Do they save me? Do they not? Uh-huh. Do they assure me of self? Like in what way do they assure me of my salvation? Right. In what way should I be sinful? In what way should I not be sinful? <laughs> uh, like all that's live and he's actually answering it right now. Okay. So I think here's what's happening. Verse okay. five, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. Okay. He's already said this once before. Jesus Christ is our propitiation Mm -hmm. who takes away our sins. But I think he's talking about taking away our sins in two different senses. Mm. He takes away our sins as an atoning sacrifice, making us pure before God. And he's talking about taking our sins away in the seed-like form that you're talking about. He's taking away our propensity to do evil. He's taking out of us the works of the devil Mm -hmm. so that we can do the works of the righteousness. Of the righteousness. Of righteousness. I mean, that's in verse eight. That's why... Jesus showed up. Yep. The reason the son of God, I'm quoting here, the reason the son of God appeared, which is the same word he used to take away sin, appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Yeah, to take away sins and destroy the devil's work in this place, in this section of text, are synonymous. Jesus has come to take the works of the devil out of us so that we can be righteous and so that we can know who is of God and who is not. Mm-hmm. That's why righteousness is un- unique in its emphasis here because like, if God has taken the works of the devil out of you, what happens now? Well, you do right. right. You little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness 
is righteous as he is righteous. Right. Because his seed is in you. He's it's, your daddy. He's your da- He's our dad. <laughs> Whoever makes a practice of sinning is yeah. like the devil. Like we have new nature. We have new hearts given to us by his spirit. Something new has happened. Mm-hmm. We are new creations. Right. Yeah. Okay. So let me put some theological skin on what you've just said. Because I think this is worth the explanation because of most people's conceptions of what is sin. And, uh, and, and Poltery, like even brings this up at what John is driving at here is that we th- when we hear the word sin, we think of usually an external. Uh, breaking a rule. Yeah, but an evil action. Mm-hmm. We don't think of it as an indwelling power. Ah. Right? Uh, but there are two things that we need to have, that we need to understand here as we talk about being God's children or being Satan's children. God's children stop sinning more, more and more as the seed grows in them it overtakes their lives it's really important i mean they like practice of the practice practice of of righteousness like these are continued patterns over time not if you sin once you're obviously not god's child right yeah um but more than that he's going to talk about how because you've received the spirit Mm -hmm. you have the controlling influence of god in you right that's what happens to a christian is you have a new controlling influence it used to be the world the flesh and the devil, right? It used to be a satanic mm-hmm. influence that governs your life. Uh, and so to be a child of Satan means not only that you do evil things, that you break laws, that you sin, right? But it's that you're controlled by sin. That capital mm-hmm. S sin is a power that Satan wields over you mm-hmm. that you cannot ever, 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 by no means ever break free from on your own. But when Christ appeared, he conquered the devil and broke capital S sins power right. over us, which restrained us from ever doing anything good, from ever being able to do something other than sin. Mm-hmm. And now that Jesus is in us, that his spirit is now our new controller, our new master, and God is our new father, we now can finally do good for the first time, right? We are now controlled by something else. We now have a new We can do heritage. Right. Yeah, 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 that's exactly right. We can right. do righteousness. Um, does that make tons of sense? Because I, no, if it doesn't, I think it might be helpful to no. go through the passe picare, passe non picare. No, I thing, think that makes but, okay. a, uh, makes a ton of sense. Okay. Like we have, I think we've talked about it in the Deuteronomy podcast about mm. like we're given new intuitions, yes, on how to obey God. Like before, God abides in us. Mm-hmm. Our intuitions are against God and His law. That's right. Now that God abides in us, that part of what is cut away from us in a really powerful way. And we tend to and intuit what God wants us to do in all the situations. His that we word have. is written on our heart. His that's, law is written on our heart. That's exactly yeah. right. So that, that's what's happening here. And mm-hmm. which is why he can be so blatant when he says, that's why people who belong to God don't keep on sinning. Right. So wait, 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 but I sin all the time. That's not what he's talking about. Right. He's talking about like that internal motivation, that internal intuition to do what God desires, to do righteousness as opposed to doing satanic evil or yeah. hatred. Let me make that really simple because yeah. I, I th- you've just kind of cracked it for me. It's like uh, the the I can't hear the practice of sinning thing uh-huh. and just accept it because I know the Greek doesn't have the word practice in it. Uh-huh, <laughs> it's uh-huh. just doing sin. Is uh-huh, the It's poie uh-huh. o hamartia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just doing sin. And so it's like, eh, the, the, I feel like it's an overreading of Greek the text. nerd. Uh, <laughs> but listen to what John said earlier in, in the letter and that just makes this makes so much sense to me where it's like what does it look like for someone to not do sin in the way he's talking about to make a practice of sinning as the ESV translates it right it's to do what he said in first John 1 we confess our sin we come we lay it before Jesus and then his blood renews us by by his righteousness by his justice and then we go back out and we yep. try again and we come back to Jesus and we try again and we come back to Jesus. It's like <laughs> if you're confessing your sin, you know, and feeling like you need Jesus and throwing yourself into the light, running to him, like owning up to what you've done, you're not making a practice of sinning. You're making a practice of righteousness because you're right. pursuing righteousness. You want the seed to grow. So you're, mm-hmm. we- you're getting rid of the weeds that are choking it out. Right, right. It's it's another reason why you shouldn't be afraid. Yeah, you should not be afraid to run to the confess. Light. Yeah, and name your sin because it's another way in which we're showing that we're God's children. I I think it, oh. somebody I I think it's Tim Keller who said it. it's like we like to think as we become bigger and better and longer lasting lifelong Christians we would sin less and less. Mm-hmm. 
But the truth of the matter is, as we know Jesus as light more and more, the more we'll confess and confess, confess and confess. Mature Christians are the ones that confess the most. Mm-hmm. Mature Christians want to bring more of their stuff into the light of Jesus because that's the practice of righteousness, yep. giving over our sin to God, asking him to change our heart and watching him do so over time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's so good. Um, that's really helpful for me because I think I wanted to create a different dichotomy of like, okay, um, our works don't save us, Jesus does, but as John saying, our works give us assurance is that how i'm supposed mm-hmm. to under, understand these two things and i'm like i don't think that's exactly what he's getting here i think mm-hmm. it's too simplistic i think what he's getting at here is that jesus is making you do less evil things but because there's a step before that because he's ruling you mm-hmm. and broken the power of evil right we, we, yeah. he's anointed us yeah. in the previous passage and at the end of chapter 3 his uh, his spirit lives within us like there's an indwelling power that has replaced the power of sin, the power of anomia. And now because of that indwelling power, we practice, we do righteousness mm. over time. Okay. So what, what else is on the agenda for this episode? Well, Cause I know there, it talks a lot about loving your brother in this. And I think we are going to save most of that for next week. When we talk about the famous God is love passage and talk about like, what is love? And there are unique emphases here in this love passage, which I think are worth exploring. Okay. Yes. Yep. Good. Uh, what else? So what? What? What's really interesting is like we talked about righteousness and sin in the abstract. Okay. Yep. Verse ten: mm. um, Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. John, like, so we talk about sin and the the eternal story of yeah. those who are against God and who are of the devil. And he's like, okay, let's boil it down to its bare simple. It's actually about loving your brother. Yeah. What does righteousness look like in your life? We could name a hundred sins. Let's boil it down. Loving your brother. Cause I mean, it's the opposite of Cain and Abel. It's the opposite of Cain and Abel. And I think it's really interesting that he goes on then in this story of persecution. Cause I think God is love is going to focus on God being loved. Yeah. And here it's talking about, what does it look like to love in such a way that gives us assurance mm-hmm. in comparison to those that hate us because of our righteousness? You have the story of Cain and Abel where you have two brothers and the evil brother, the brother of the devil, mm-hmm. is attacking the brother of the Lord. Right. And what it looks like to be a children, a, a child of God is to love the brother that's trying to kill you. Because mm. I think I've most of the time I've been reading this, like love for the brothers has meant love for the Christian community, love for those of us who are like us, right? Mm, yeah. But throughout Jesus's ministry, love for those that hate us is the mark of a Christian. When God, somebody comes and asks Jesus, "What's the, how do you fulfill the commands? Love God and love neighbor. What does he continue to say? You heard it said, love your neighbor, but I say love your enemy. Right. Like there's actually... I think it's really powerful that he chooses Cain and Abel because you have this, there's yeah. actually a, a kinship between per, the persecutors and the persecuted. Right. And while the persecutors hate the persecuted, the persecuted love their persecutors. Mm. And in that, Christ's love is shown. That is righteousness because how did Jesus die for us? Yep, verse 16, this is how we know what love even is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We were his while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, while we hated him, That's right. he loved us. That's we right. were his persecutors literally by putting him on a cross. Right. And he loved us to the end. That's something that persecutors can never do. Mm. The persecutors can only hate the persecuted. Mm-hmm. The persecuted have the opportunity to love the per- persecutors and in that righteousness is displayed. And it's actually really funny that he talks about Cain being the, like the, the prototype for this mm. because he says this, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. In Greek, the word he is a kainos. <laughs> Jesus is the anti-Cain. You have the anti-Christ who are Cain uh-huh. being defeated by the love of the anti-Cain, Christ. Mm. Wow. <laughs> like undoing that and showing us what righteousness is. The anti And like as Cain brought death into the world, right? The first murder. Cain brought death into the world. Jesus, the anti-Cain, the echinase. Yes. <laughs> he brings life into the world. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love our brothers, mm. is what verse 14 says. Wow. Whoever does not love abides in death. 
I mean, and that's interesting then to talk about life and death situations in, in those terms that it's like it is an act of sacrificial love toward a persecutor mm-hmm. that brings life into the world and rescues it from death. Like that is the Christian story. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's awesome. And then you you were talking about getting like coming from the abstract and the uh-huh. grandiose and the atmospheric down boots on the ground. It doesn't get any more boots on the ground than verse 17. Yep. <laughs> if anyone has material possessions <laughs> and sees a brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. You see someone who has a physical material need, you have the means to meet it and you don't meet it. How can you say that Jesus's love is in you? That's right. Harsh words. Harsh words. But like true words. And it's building on the same thing. If you've been born of God, Mm -hmm. you do righteousness. If you have been saved by the Achanes, the anti-Cain who has loved his enemies, yep. you love your enemies. If you see those in need, you serve those in need. Right. By this, by that type of love, we know, verse 19, that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Another way to say that is to say that if you help somebody in need, you are proving that Jesus' seed is in you. Like, because mm-hmm. you're doing the same kind of thing he did. Mm-hmm. He loved those, like, who persecuted him. He gave to those who were in need. So when you do that, you're not like being a super Christian, you know, or anything. It's like, you're just like, Oh look, Jesus is in me. You know, like that's his point in the most simple terms. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's cool. And then he goes on and says, but when our hearts condemn us, yes, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Yeah. So like, I think this is speaking to those of those of you and maybe myself right now who are thinking about yesterday when you were driving and you stopped at a stoplight and there was a homeless person next to you asking for money and you were like, I've got $2, uh, maybe not. And you drove off yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you felt guilty and you're like, uh-huh. oh, maybe I'm not a Christian or maybe, you know, like right, right, right. maybe Christ isn't in me. Yeah. And I think the way I've traditionally read this uh-huh. and the way I've been talked about, it, I think in episode one was like, don't worry, God's greater than our heart and he's assuaging your guilt. I think it works the opposite way here. Okay. He says, when our heart condemns us in that way for not having a generous heart towards our brother, God is the more generous soul. Mm. He's the more generous heart. And he knows the deficiencies in your own generosity. I I think that's what he's saying. God but, is great. And when he says that God is greater than our condemning hearts, he's you're saying that our, like when we refuse to show generosity to others, mm-hmm. God is greater and shows generosity to us who don't deserve it. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That makes sense. Yeah. And so, so beloved, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence with God. So, so what is he after? He's, he's after us being generous. Right. So if your hearts are condemning you from your lack of generosity, look to the God who's been generous towards Mm -hmm. you and who knows how poor, ungenerous you've been in your past and be generous. How could the love of Christ abide in you if you are not generous to Mm -hmm. other? Be generous. Show yourself to be a child of God. Yeah. Um, Talk, talk to me or talk to our audience about uh, those who might be thinking or have struggled with the impulse to want to give to the homeless person on the street corner in order to build their confidence. Like, oh, if I just, if I give every time I see somebody, then I know I'm safe. You know what I mean? Like, yes. What would you say to that person who's just like, uh, yeah, I totally agree with this. Um, Every time I see a homeless person, I give because every time I do, I just know that I'm like that. I, I it just gives me confidence that I, I know me and God are okay. And it's, it just seems like a different motivation. It is. A, well, it is a different motivation because that's a different person than who John's writing to. Okay. So you have one type of person who's saying, I'm looking for a way to make sure that I get into God's family. Mm. And so I'm going to give to every homeless person I see yeah. so that I can, so that I, I can prove that I can prove I'm I'm the worthy type of person to be in God's family. Okay. The other type of person is wondering whether or not they could be in God's family because their persecution against them is so great. Hmm. They've been part of God's community for a while. They don't know if they can stand up against the pressures around them. And John's saying, okay, let me come to you little child. Have you been generous to people? You're fine. (laughs) You know, it's like, have you been loving your enemies? 
Are you praying for your persecutors? Do you, do you know people, people of the devil don't pray for their mm. persecutors? Do you know people who don't give up their cloaks for that person? They don't go the second mile who are of the devil. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing those things, you are a child of God. Like the difference between assurance and earning earning yeah. is, is thin there. Yeah. And I think the idea of a heart condemning in that moment is actually a pretty intelligent way to talk about these dynamics. It's like what's happening behind the scenes in someone's heart yeah. is all the difference in the world between doing an action to prove that you're worthy of God's love and reflecting on your past actions to know that God has loved you and mm. you're a part of his family. Yeah. Is that clarifying it? It, what it does is it, it makes me want to congratulate you for being a good exegete because you've done something good here. You've refused to mirror read, uh-huh. to put us in the story. And, right. And cause I, I've, I've gone, here's, here's a modern day person who is trying to earn their salvation by being generous to prove that they are the type of person that God would be pleased to call his child. Right. And I'm trying to put them in the text and be like, what does this text say to them? And you've done the good thing of saying that's not who we're talking about. Yeah. John's not addressing the person who's trying to earn their salvation. So right. you're trying to put a square peg in a round hole. Right. So I just wanted to pause and say, like, everyone listening, <laughs> this has been a good object lesson from <laughs> Seth of a, um, of, of a tactic we take with Scripture pretty regularly where we try to get scripture to address something it's not trying to address, mm-hmm. and we end up making problems that don't exist and solutions that aren't well-grounded. What what Seth is saying is um, these are people who just, they need assurance because they're so beat down. Yeah. That's who we're talking to. We're not talking about yeah. people trying to earn their salvation or question, or even that are questioning like if they're good enough. They're just being persecuted. They've been told that maybe what they believed, maybe maybe Jesus isn't who he said he was, you know, and all these things. They need to know if they're okay. Mm-hmm. And he's rooting them uh, yeah. and giving them assurance based on the fact that their lives have been changed by their encounter with Jesus. And they're starting yeah. to love their brothers in different ways. It's the difference between like the hypothetical persecuted Chinese Christian who's in a house church right now. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know if he can go to church next week because the people might come and get him and put him in prison. And he's wondering if that happens and I die in prison, how do I know what's going to happen in that moment? Mm-hmm. Like what's going to happen then? And then John comes to that person and says, okay, what has your life looked like up to this point? And you, he lists his generosity and say, okay, you're okay. You are a child of God because children of the devil don't act that way. That's a very different audience mm-hmm. than what I think I'm, I'm used to thinking about when I come to the book of first John. Definitely. So that, that, that is helpful then. Um, uh, any, any closing, any, anything else as we kind of wind chapter three down? Well, I mean, I'll wind it down the way that John winds it down. Do it. He says, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. We don't need to condemn ourselves because our generosity kind of speaks for itself. Our mm. love for our brothers and our persecutors speaks for itself. And whatever we ask, we receive from God because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. What's all this about? Yeah. What's, what is the sum total of the law and the prophets? Love God. Yep. Love others. Love others. <laughs> Confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. The best way to love God. And love others. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's it. Yeah. How what, do you know? How do, how do I know I'm saved? Right? Like, yeah. what is my confidence rooted in? Do you believe in Jesus? Are you loving your brother? It's as simple as John makes it. Whoever keeps his commands abides in God. And God abides in him. Yeah. And I love too that he also ends it with, uh, and this is how we know that he lives in us, you know, because he talked about abiding in him, the seed of Christ dwelling in you, all these kind of mystical things, you know, he's like, mm-hmm. and this is how we know he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. It's like, well, how do I know that I'm going to love my brother? How do I know that I'm going to like be like Jesus in the world? It's like, well, because you have the spirit in you, you're not ruled by Satan anymore. Mm-hmm. You are, you're no longer Cain you're yeah. able like you're able to not uh-huh. sin i'm just oh, a play on words <laughs> <laughs> this is like a that's like a classic like southern baptist preacher moment there. that was good yeah that was good yeah. Was, i'm glad you channeled that for a moment <laughs> um yeah, yeah I, I think what i I'm, i've been trying to do even in my personal devotions here is just to not try to 
hedge John. Right. Because whenever I hear, when whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, mm-hmm. I'm so used to having to say, well, he doesn't mean this. He doesn't uh-huh, mean uh-huh. that. He's not trying to do this. I've been trying to hear that line. Whoever keeps God's commandments abides in God and God in him. I'm so used to that feeling discouraging that I wanted to do the work to make it feel encouraging for mm-hmm. me. And I think I'm kind of getting there. It's like if I do righteousness, mm-hmm. if I love my brother, God is in me. Yeah. I feel like what John is asking me to think about, I've been told, whether, whether explicitly or implicitly, is off limits for Christians to think about. Where I'm, I'm not allowed to think about how good Jesus is making me. Yes. Right? I'm just not allowed to think about it. Because humble ex- people don't do that. People, humble people don't think about the fact that like, man, I'm better than I used to be, you know, like, yes. And like, I just feel like if I'm, if I'm ever like, how am I not like others? How, how am I different? Like, how did I get to this place where like, I actually love my wife and I love my kids and I'm not as angry as I used to be. And I don't compare myself to others like I used to. I start looking at my sanctification and I'm like, oh, isn't that wrong to do? Right. To be like, oh yeah, look how good I am. That doesn't have to be what you're doing in that moment. Uh-huh. You're actually looking at the fact that the seed of God is bearing fruit. I we I think we had a similar conversation to this a while ago where it's like, I felt like for a period of my life, my primary identity was one of the sinner mm-hmm. in need of forgiveness and need of God's grace. And there was like a ton of formative works that happened in that season of my life. You're a sinner, you need to be saved. You're a sinner, you need to be saved. Repent, yeah. repent, repent, right. repent, repent. But actually, on this side of the cross, I'm a son. Yeah. And that's my primary identity now. Yeah. A child of God. A child of God. And that actually changes my total self-perception. Mm-hmm. If I'm primarily a sinner, I'm kind of always going to feel guilty. And guilt's gonna, always going to be my problem. Mm-hmm. And we're always going to figure out, we're always going to read John looking for assuaging from guilt. Right. But if I'm a son, yeah, what does it free me to think about? Yeah. It frees me to think about all the ways Jesus is changing me by coming and destroying the works of darkness in my heart. Totally. Yeah. I just feel like John is challenging me to like allow myself to find confidence in something I, I used to try to not think about where it's like, man, reflect with joy when you do good works. It's like, no, I'm supposed to like not think about it. I'm a sinner first. Yeah. yeah or even just like, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Uh-huh. And it's just yep. like, if you do something good and you do the right thing and it was holy and it was righteous and it was just, forget about it as quick as possible or you negate it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind right. of like, and I just think that's masochistic in a way that. And it, it robs us. It of, robs us of joy and confidence. That's right. It's just well, like. All, like if let's just like imagine for a moment, mm. we would not shrink in shame at his coming. Yes. Let's just put that in right now. Okay. Jesus is here. He's come. Yeah. He's right here. But most of the time I shrink away from, I shrink in shame. Yeah. Because I'm always there. I'm right. never allowing myself. Like, oh, I am a son. I am. I have been made holy. Yes. I am good and right in God's Last eyes. week I did this awesome thing that I know I wouldn't have done a year ago. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, right. like, and I don't, I can be confident if mm. God showed up in this room right now. And he is right here. I can be confident yeah. and say, I am righteous. Yeah. In front of God. Yeah. In the light. In the light. Not, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but Lord, I'm righteous and I'm pursuing righteousness. Which is... I'm making a practice of righteousness. Yes. Yeah. And that's good news. That's good news. I don't know. I like, I'm actually good, imagining yeah. Jesus sitting right there next to your hoodie yeah. and like me looking Jesus in the eye and saying... <laughs> I am righteous next to righteousness incarnate. It's hard to, yeah. But I'm like, I'm allowed to say that. You're allowed to say that. Yeah. Which it does feel wrong. That's how good the gospel is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's good news that. That's how bad my childhood was. (laughs) Dude. Yeah. Seriously. That's how traumatized we are. But it's like, that's how good the news is that we can look at the good fruit Jesus is bearing in us through his spirit and go, look what, I'm doing in Christ. Look how good he's making me. Yeah. And it not be not have to be proud or self-aggrandizing. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I think I've heard it said another way that's like, the good news is so gracious and so big that God does the work and allows us to have the credit. Yeah. And it's like, I think I'm fine with God doing all the work, but I don't think I've ever in my entire life, maybe even right now, been okay taking the credit. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's part of the gospel I don't think I've yeah. grabbed onto yet is that God is coming to me as a son and saying, David, take the credit. Yeah. Have confidence, have joy in what I'm doing in your life. And I'm just like, I don't think I'm allowed to, <laughs> you know? And like, I'm like, man, this is part of the gospel. I just don't think I have latched onto yet. Makes me feel like I should start making a list of it because it's like, it's like I, I don't have a list. Like, well, and, I and couldn't be, name it. And I, for a long time listeners, it'd be the antidote to the list you used to make. Yes. You used to make lists of all the reasons why you are condemned. Uh-huh. And God's like, the opposite of that, the son version of that is here's all the reasons to prove that you're actually my son. Yeah. That's cool. That's Well, anyway, thanks for being here for yeah. David and Seth's personal counseling session <laughs> as we struggle to understand how good the good news of the gospel is. I, I feel wandery as I go through the book of John. Yeah. Like I'm like, what does John say again? Are we getting there? Oh, oh that's there it. it. Is. Yeah. And I feel like John rewards that kind of listening and talking. Yeah. One of my commentators refers to the book of John like a DNA strand. Like a, a, a helix. A helix, yeah. And so you have like two like major lines crisscrossing each other as they spiral upward and then lines connecting uh, one part to the other part. And it's like you're where am I at the DNA strand? I don't know, but it all kind of sounds similar and it's complicated yeah. and it's good. Like once I get there, yeah. like I feel that oh, right in this moment. So, so good. Well, um, let's see. Next week, we'll talk about God is love. God is love. So tune in for that. That will be a super fun uh, episode. Yeah. I'm really excited about that. Uh, until then, thank you guys for listening. Thank and you we will so see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.